Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. This is MedEvidence, Truth Behind the Data. In this episode, Dr. Michael Corrin and Dr. Mitch Rothstein are kicking the nicotine habit. It's a brain thing. Dr. Michael Corrin is a practicing cardiologist and chief executive officer at Encore Research Group, which conducts clinical trials across Florida. He has been the principal investigator of over 2,000 trials and has been published in the most prestigious medical journals. Dr. Corrin received his medical degree, cum laude, at Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Mitch Rothstein has practiced clim- clinical pulmonary, pulmonary, I cannot speak about that, about the lungs, and sleep medicine for over 30 years in Jacksonville. For the last six years, he has transitioned into clinical research as medical director of the phase one unit at Jacksonville Center for Clinical Research. And also, always be sure to subscribe to the podcast for weekly notifications. All right, gentlemen. Let's continue the conversation about um, kicking the nicotine habit. Uh, Dr. Rothstein, we'll start with you. How do you counsel people on quitting? This is, we just discussed how vital this can be for, for longevity of heart and, and life. How do we counsel that? Well, it's a difficult area and there's a lot of different answers. The, uh, the key to counseling is that you have to have the right patient. So if you don't have a patient that wants to stop, uh, you can't counsel them. Now, all the work in the world isn't going to do much. And they've, they've looked at different counseling environments, actually. One-on-one counseling versus group counseling versus drop-in counseling, where people uh, have a room and people kind of come and go as they're starting to smoke, uh, starting to stop smoking or, or ending or quitting their smoking and kind of leave the group and come back and forth. And then uh, direct medical uh, addressing smoking cessation and what they found for the most part was that group environments tended to do better than one-on-one environments and then when you look at the people that are trying to stop smoking we know that women have a more difficult time stopping smoking than men we know that people that come from lower socioeconomic environments have a more difficult time stopping smoking than people from more affluent communities do. So it's there's a lot of complicating issues that are involved in it. Genetics is involved. Mm-hmm. We know that people that metabolize nicotine more quickly have a more difficult time stopping smoking than people that metabolize it more slowly. And how long you've smoked also has something to do with it. We know for a fact that in the United States, at least, that 80% of smokers start smoking before they're 18. Mm-hmm. And that that's a period of time where you're learning all these associations. So when you approach someone, you kind of have to get the full picture of where they are kind of in their smoking history and what part of the smoking issue is the most important to them. Because it's not always the drug that's the most important issue. Some of it's, you know, social. It's We know that it can be relaxing and reduces anxiety and people can use it, you know, socially to help them feel better. And in a lot of people, there's a, an emotional relationship that develops with a pack of cigarettes. So, yeah, is so, it a, and it's always there. Is so. it a weight loss tool? I mean, because that I've always heard, and maybe this is why it's more difficult for women, is that smoking helps you maintain a weight or keep your weight down. Well, I think that is um, 
urban fiction. I think what the studies that looked at successful smokers and weight, uh, successful people who succeeded in stopping smoking and followed their weight over the course of a year found that in the first three months after you stopped smoking, the average person gained about 10 pounds. If you looked at that same person a year later and they still weren't smoking, that weight wasn't there anymore. So it's one of the kind of fear yeah. tactics, I think, that people mm-hmm. use to kind of scare themselves into not trying to stop smoking. Yeah. Though there there probably are some relationships between weight and, and nicotine use, specifically smoking. One is that when you smoke, your heart rate's higher. And so it's like speed. Mm-hmm. And so when your heart rate's higher, your cardiac output's higher and you burn more calories just because of that. So it's not uncommon to see, you know, heavy smokers that are that are skinny. But quite frankly, our average patient is both a smoker and overweight. <laughs> right. So certainly that smoking is not a guarantee that you'll be thin. But for some people, it does help them. And again, in some people, it increases the amount of calories that they burn. And yeah. I think the other thing that's happened is we've compared in most of the animal experiments that went on, right? They compare the animals urge to tap for nicotine or to tap for food. Mm-hmm. And in those kind of settings, you have animals that would preferentially want nicotine over food, just like you were talking about. In the, uh, exactly. So there, there, there is an association, but people that stop smoking and gain weight are doing it not just because of the lack of nicotine, but also because they want something to do with their hands and their mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that for a fact. Right. Right. And is that where the nicotine gum comes in, you know, keeps their mouths busy, gives them something to do? Yeah, I think that that's clearly part of the thing. The nicotine is the essence of it, right? Mm-hmm. What's in the gum. But having something in your mouth and something that you handle is also seemingly going to help you succeed in stopping that whole behavioral thing. Yeah, and as Dr. Rothstein mentioned in the previous segment, smoking is a difficult habit to kick because it's both a chemical addiction and a behavioral addiction. And from the reading that I've done, the most successful methodologies are to address both. Mm-hmm. And um, what I do clinically is when a patient comes in, and I do this quite a bit, if they're a smoker, I'm of course gonna tell them, hey, you know, that's a risk factor for heart disease and stroke. I'd love to see you get off the cigarettes. Um, is that something you thought about? Are willing to do that? And, you know, I'd say it's 50-50. Some people are happy smoking and they're, for whatever reason, it fulfills some need in them and, and I'm not going to push too hard. But if, even if they say they're not interested in quitting, I'll at least address the possibility of nicotine replacement. It's hard to get people to think about behavior modification if they want to smoke. I, I had a recent funny anecdote. A patient came in, guy in his 60s who had lots of cardiovascular risk factors, lifetime smoker. I see you think about quitting. He said, yeah, I, I've done it before. And like Mark Twain, uh, <laughs> I, I said, okay, how'd you do it? Uh, yeah, I just stopped. And, and my mind's over matter. And I did it for three months at a time. He said, but I hated myself. <laughs> and I just didn't like who I was when I wasn't smoking. I just liked myself better when I smoke. All right, well, that's going to be hard to argue with. (laughs) But um, on the other hand, if we can talk about the fact that he get the nicotine, which is probably why he likes himself better, um, maybe that is an opening. Mm -hmm. So for everybody, you need to kind of figure out how you're going to get into their inner world, into their brain space, and figure out a way to help them. And and we'll talk about alternatives where you don't have to burn tobacco Mm -hmm. to get that nicotine satisfaction. Yeah, so... um 
is cold turkey not the way to go? I mean, or do you modify? Do you like taper down? Or I mean, what are well, some it depends suggestions? On, it depends on the person. Yeah. Uh, you probably would agree that you have to tailor it to the pe- people. Yeah. Some people like group setting better, and yeah. Yeah, I, I think in terms of cold turkey, you, you need to. There has to be a point where you stop smoking if you're going to stop smoking. So there is a that cold turkey point. Whether you get there through reducing the amount you smoke uh, is, I think, less important than it is on achieving a quit date and kind of sticking to your quit date. That you decide that after you know next Tuesday I'm no longer going to be a smoker and kind of have a plan as to what you're going to do to make that successful. And that has to be some. You know, we'll turn, you have to know your own triggers and when you like to smoke the most so you don't sit there just going, wish I had a cigarette, because that person's not going to mm-hmm. succeed no matter what they do. But at some point, yeah, they, I, I always used to tell my patients that we all stop smoking at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Just the concept of cold turkey has a negative consequence or right, connotation. Right. So you can just say, just stop. Right? You don't have to say cold turkey. No, no cold turkey. <laughs> right, right. No Remind, cold it reminds turkey. me of that John Lennon song from the 70s, you know, cold turkey, where he screams for about five, five minutes into the song. And so there's a lot of negative uh, uh, associations with that. But one of, one of the things I like to do because of this concept of both nicotine addiction and the chemical parts of that addiction and the behavioral parts that Dr. Rothstein was talking about is to work on the behavioral stuff right away. So it, it's a little less intimidating for people, even though it's just as important in terms of the habit. And so I read years ago about this uh, five-step method for helping people change their behavior. And the concept simply is, is that a lot of behaviors are get to the part of your brain where you don't even think about it anymore. They're just automatic behaviors. And of and if you can change those automatic behaviors to behaviors that that are associated with thought, it's going to be easier to quit. So what I tell people is that if you want to get ready to quit, you're not ready for that cold turkey day, but you're ready to start to change your brain, mm-hmm. maybe you can do these behavior modification things. So without further ado, right, uh, they're basically go. five things. And, all they're, right. and they're all really easy. Okay. They're actually all really, really easy. And I, I just laid out to patients. So I'll say, number one, rule number one is only buy one pack of cigarettes at a time. So just the fact that people buy cartons and cartons and cartons, it makes it really easy for them to smoke and continue to smoke in high volumes. But if you buy one pack at a time, again, you're forcing yourself to think. So you're making a little bit of a hassle and you're forcing yourself to think. So that's number one. That's easy. And you can buy one pack at a time. It costs a little bit more, but mm-hmm. you'll smoke less. So it's a wash. <laughs> okay. Number two is you buy a different brand every time. Ooh. So part of the, the habit and the culture that we're talking about is you kind of get associated with a brand mm-hmm. and, and you like that. But make a conscious effort to buy a different brand every time. And like maybe buy a brand you would never think of buying before. You know, so, like a menthol? Well, <laughs> I, as a non-smoker, I can't comment on I that. Don't but, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just but, uh, sounds maybe. awful to me. Yeah, well, some people like that. Actually, the, you know, the FDA thinks that may be a, an additional draw, and, and they're talking about taking menthol cigarettes oh. off the market, but that, that's an aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyhow, the, the point being is that the imagery changes, the, the brand association changes, and, and so that's, no, that's rule number two. So one, one pack at a time, two, a different brand each time. Number three, never keep cigarettes on your person. Always put them in a place where you have to make an effort. So, for example, don't put them like in the glove box of your car when you're driving. So, if you're um, if you if you like to smoke at home, so you like to smoke um, you know in your back patio, keep your cigarettes in the garage. So, when you decide to smoke, you have to make an effort. Mm-hmm. 
So always put them in a place where there has to be an effort made to smoke. So that's rule number three. Rule number four is that, okay, you decide to smoke, you, you um, get up from your kitchen table, you, you go to the back patio, oh, I don't have my cigarettes there, and you go back to the garage, you get your cigarettes, you go back to the back, back patio, you get all set, get your ashtray, get ready to go, okay, I'm going to get relaxed. But before you do anything, you take the cigarette out, and you look at it for 30 seconds. Just, you know, that's, that's easy to do, right? Yeah. Just look at it for 30 seconds. So instead of just automatically putting your mouth and lighting it, just really look at it. And, and during the 30 seconds, ask yourself, do I really want that? Do, you know, do I really need it? Do I really want it? Nah, I'm actually feeling pretty good. You put it back in the pack, you put it back in the garage, and you go, you go play golf, hmm. okay? Or do whatever you're going to do. Now, the fourth rule is that, okay, you look at it for 30 seconds and say, yeah, I need this cigarette. I really need it. So you, go ahead. I'm not taking it away from you. Just go ahead and light that cigarette. Take a puff and then put it out. And then wait a few seconds and say, do I really still want it? If you still want it, light it up again and finish it. So none of those things actually take the, the cigarettes away from you. Mm-hmm. There's, you still have access to them. It's not intimidating. But you are forcing yourself to rethink your behaviors. And uh, there's actually data showing that these type of methods can work and they can prime people to actually get over the chemical addiction down the road. So that, those, are my, those are my little tricks. What do you think? You're nodding. Yeah. I mean, I think if you can get people thinking differently about smoking than the way they think while they're smoking. That's the key, is that anything that can help kind of break those positive reinforcing behaviors that they've previously had with cigarettes, that gives them a better chance of succeeding than if you don't. If you just leave people out on their own and tell them they can't smoke, they're going to go crazy. your host, Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of MedEvidence, the truth behind the data.